Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that, let's jump into the episode. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you about our new sponsor, Crypto.com. Crypto.com's exchange is a rapidly growing trading venue with a strong retail flow. Top institutions can receive a credit line and highly competitive maker-taker fees. Their platform is robust, secure, and compliant. You can get started trading today on the Crypto.com exchange. And to get in touch with their institutional sales team, visit bit.ly slash CryptoDelphi now or click the link in the show notes. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you about our new podcast sponsor, Delta Exchange. If you're looking to long or short altcoins with leverage, you have to check them out. They're an altcoin derivatives exchange where you can trade futures on Bitcoin and leading altcoins with up to 100 times leverage. They have strong liquidity and low trading fees, and Delta is the best place to trade altcoin derivatives. For a limited time, you can get 10 bucks as a welcome bonus to make your first trade on Delta Exchange. Head over to www.deltaexchange/tom to claim your welcome bonus. Links in the show notes below. With that, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Chain Reaction. I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy, and today I have on Sam, who's the founder of FTX and Alameda Research. Sam, how's it going? Uh, doing well. How are you? Good, man. The uh, the whole fiasco around EMN last night kind of kept me up late. Well, what about you? <laughs> I I was, you know, to be honest, I was sort of blissfully unaware until it was just ending. But I uh, that was definitely kind of a new variant on it, which is uh, I don't know. I yeah, we sort of haven't contended with that particular type of thing yet in DeFi. So I think it's sort of interesting seeing, you know, seeing crypto decide how they felt about it. Yeah, that's fair. It's kind of a push and pull on whether we're in a bull market or whether we're on a top. I mean, the top is kind of like, you know, people are going into crazy projects, but for the same reason, it might also be a bull market because people are literally pouring $15 million into a project with literally no information on it. Yep. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes there. So Sam, I want to dive right in. I mean, it seems like you hit the scene pretty hard and fast. When did you actually get involved in crypto? Yeah, so it was... uh... In, two, in uh, 2017, I, uh, I was previously at Jane Street Capital Trading ETFs, and yeah, I ended up uh, leaving there, and then and then ended up, uh, you know, in crypto. and And the first thing that I did was was start up Alameda, uh, which is a, a crypto quant trading firm, and just you know try to sort of scale that that business up. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's awesome. You went from a traditional financial to crypto. I always like talking to people like that because it's uh, it's always a an awesome conversation. What um, what's the stats on Alameda? Do you guys? It's only a quant fund. Do you manage? Uh, I mean, is it? It's obviously outside capital as well. So it, it's interesting. Um, there's, there's been some very intentional decisions made about that, and you know, basic answer there is that it's a, it's a quant fund, and it's entirely internal capital and various lines of credit, and so there's no. It's not like a hedge fund 
there's no outside investors of any sort. And that, that's sort of not standard. It, it's, it's a little bit weird. And I also think it's been very powerful. And I think that like to give a sense of that, you know, most people that I think most people in the world have had this pretty strong sense at, at least some job they've worked at of like nothing can get done in this sort of like overarching existential sense of like, it doesn't matter if everything's on fire, like nothing can get done here. Like, you know, anything that, that we were trying to do that's at all different would be like a, you know, six month timescale roadmap to developing a roadmap for developing a strategy for developing a product or something like that. And, and that like, you know, there's 17 people who can veto it and the odds that none of them veto it are just so small. And, and a lot of decisions have been made to sort of try to avoid that and let it be as, as nimble as we can. That's awesome. So basically what you're saying is that you would not be able to move this fast and go into the plays that you were going into if you had a traditional structure with outside investors that kind of not held you accountable, but more so wanted to say and have veto power over you. Yeah, it's it's want to say you want to be veto power, but also there's things of like, you know, does it meet their, you know, you have these things where they like have a fund of funds of funds of funds. And at each level, like they have these various mandates you know, from like their, you know, the, from the level that, that, that wraps them up. And so like, well, our investment thesis is this. And so we can only do things that are consistent with that. And we're not even saying we disagree with this thing that you're going to do, but it's like not consistent with the investment thesis we gave to the people who invested in us. And so we can't invest in you if you're going to do that. And, and you end up getting the, this sort of thing where, uh, you know, you end up getting like a ton of weird arbitrary restrictions built from like poorly thought out docs written like two years ago by a company six levels removed from you or something like that, that somehow ends up tracing through. Yeah, no, you're right. The The bureaucracy around the traditional world is insane. I like that you're comparing it here. And when, when you're thinking through Alameda, what's the biggest event for you guys? I mean, is it like algorithms? Is it hiring people to write new algorithms? Is it taking advantage of market timing or new plays? Like where, where do you get the most alpha within Alameda? It's a good question. And taking a step back, I think what I would do is try and answer the question, like, where does alpha come from in sort of a generalized sense? And I I think sort of my answer to that is basically like, well, you know, like Alameda has sort of always thought about this in terms of providing liquidity. And so what does that mean? What that means is like, you know, let's say that you come in and you want to, you know, for whatever reason, you want to do something in crypto. You know, you want to buy like 3 trillion Bitcoins in the next like 13.5 seconds or something. And you want to do it on Bitstamp and only Bitstamp. And obviously that's sort of like an exaggeration, but there's a ton of sort of less exaggerated versions of this. Someone's got to be on the other end of that trade. And it's pretty unlikely that like your evil twin is looking at the same atomic clocks and like, all right, in 13.5 seconds, I really got to sell a trillion Bitcoins on Bitstamp. Like, you know, it's unlikely that that like is going to match up exactly. And so, but someone's got to be there. So someone's got to be, you know, selling there, providing liquidity. And, you know, the, the sort of larger, so the sort of market distortion that, that you're having here, the more out of line it's going to get, the bigger the arbitrage is going to be between it and other venues. And you need sort of more and more liquidity to come in and, and provide to that to make you able to buy. And, and so sort of like the, the less efficient things are, the, the more alpha there is and the more liquidity is needed. And then you send the liquidity in. And what it does is it makes things more efficient and decreases the sort of remaining alpha. 
by bringing everything in line. And, and so that's sort of like a, a kind of like kind of boring general way of thinking about like what is arbitrage and liquidity. And I'm sort of talking about this in terms of the like most discussed example, which is like Bitcoin USD trading at different prices on different exchanges. But it, it is a more general thing of just like whatever thing you're trying to do. And, you know, sometimes it really was that, you know, back in 2017, Bitstamp and Coinbase would trade at different prices. But sometimes it's something, you know, different than that, right? Sometimes it's like, you know, XRP trades at a different price against different currencies in different countries. Sometimes it's something like, uh, you know, there's a ton of demand for some stable coin at a particular point in time. So like tons of demand for Tether right now, which is sort of driving the issuances. Um, and sometimes it's something totally different, which is like uh, yield farming. And there's like a ton of demand for liquidity to provide in DeFi projects. And the compensation, rather than being an arbitrage, is yield farming. And, and so, you know, there's sort of like different structures, but you can see them as all different sides of the same coin. And so then to get to your question of like, what's the focus? The focus is wherever it's needed. Like, you know, wherever the demand is, that's where the liquidity needs to go. And where is that demand? It really changes over time in crypto way more so than traditional finance. You know, you look at a bank like Goldman and they have their like, you know, they've got their treasuries desk or whatever, you know, they've got their like, uh, you know, junk bonds team and they've had their junk bonds team for like 50 years. I'm making this up, but you know, basically, right. And like, it's just kind of the same thing. It's done the same thing for 50 years. It's sort of like slowly evolving strategies in crypto we have these weird musical interludes. Like, do you remember NFT week? And maybe we're still in it. It's a little unclear. But like this like week where people talked about nothing but NFTs, right? And that followed like two months of yield farming. There's like, you know, altcoin futures weeks or months back in 2018. There's like Japanese demand month, early 2018, late 2017. There's a kimchi premium period where like the biggest demand in crypto is people providing liquidity to Korean cryptocurrency buyers. It's like sometimes it's just like shit coins blowing off and, you know, all the demand is to find even more shit coins to buy. Like, you know, there's sort of like it really does have massive changes in what what the people are focusing on in the sector. And, and so, it, you know, you can't kind of sit there being like we provide arbitrage. You know, we do arbitrage between Bitcoin futures and Bitcoins. That's our business. And sometimes that business is extremely valuable and important and lucrative. Like, you know, uh, you could imagine during gigantic market moves and other times, like right now, fucking no one cares about Bitcoin futures versus Bitcoin arbitrages. No one's trying to put on like, you know, carry trades in Bitcoin or something like that. Like no one's even thinking about Bitcoin. That's sort of gotten been forgotten for the last few months. And so if, if, if that's going to be your business, then your business isn't doing anything right now. Whereas if you want to find the most important thing to, to do, you have to be kind of like more nimbly rotating what you're focusing on. Oh, that's awesome, Sam. I, I appreciate all the color there. It makes a lot of sense that you guys are able to basically go wherever there's alpha, right? And, and you can profit yeah. from basically any avenue of crypto. I love that. I guess my follow-up question, though, is you have to move incredibly fast. So you kind of have to sometimes work on information that's obviously not complete. Like, let's say, you know, when yield farming first started, you find a project, there's obviously limited information. You really might not have time to do all your own audits, stuff like that, yada, yada. And you also have to move in size to make a lot of money, obviously, at scale, given the size of Alameda. How, how do you like handle that spectrum of 
jumping in with limited information, but jumping in in size, like how do you kind of evaluate all those risk factors when you're looking at different arbitrage opportunities? It's a really good question. And, you know, I think that some people, I think if I had to say the way that I think about it, maybe most differently than like the average random person I see tweeting about it, it's that I don't consider it to be like, this is the one thing that matters that like, this is how you decide what you do. And instead, more just consider it like, use common sense, be reasonable, use a lot of heuristics here that can help you. And, you know, combine them together in a reasonable way to create an educated probabilistic guess. And, uh, which is just another way of saying like, there is no secret, you know, there's no magic trick here. It's just like, do the best you can. But, but I think a lot of people are like, obviously not doing the best they can in this regard. Um, and I think that you see that partially in some people who are like, we will do anything as soon as it passes this threshold. And before that, it's like untouchable. But you also see that with people who are just like, you know, FOMOing into literally anything. And it, it, it's sort of like, there's no sanity checking going on. And there's sort of this sense of like, well, once you're doing an unaudited thing, I guess you're doing ev everything. So you've already given up that ghost. <laughs> no, of course not. Like not every unaudited thing is the same. And to give a recent example, right? Like, you know, there's, uh, whatever, there's like all these firms constantly popping up, but you look at something like Lua, which is like a project ran by sort of the, the TomoChain community. And, you know, I don't like profess to be the world's expert in it, but like there, what are some heuristics? First of all, it's like a real person in community who are running it, who are like, you know, have reputations at stake. You use the product, clearly it's actually been built. Like it was sort of like, there's planning that went into it. Like it, it's been, you know, thoughtfully considered. And, you know, the things that it's trying to do are not very wacky. Like you sort of look at what it's doing and you're like, yeah, the world's done things that are structurally similar to that many times. Like they probably don't fuck it up. And so, you know, on a lot of, now that doesn't mean everything about it is going to be perfect. And, and in particular, you might say, look, there's some things that might be a little weird. And one thing is, you know, there's vesting on some of the, the yield that you get from it. I don't know how, like, you know, maybe you don't know how that vesting works, right? Like, how do they determine this vesting schedule? And like, how do they do the post-hop airdrops? Aren't they doing Merkle proofs or what? And I think it'd be totally reasonable to be like, yeah, I think that there's some risk that like, the, that, that like I don't quite understand, or they don't even quite understand exactly how that part's going to work. And that like, there are issues with that, but that's like not the terrifying thing, right? Like the terrifying thing is like, do I just lose all my money? And from that perspective, it's like, yeah, okay. It's like, you know, Uniswap pools where you like put stuff in, you get LP tokens and you stake them. And so, so from a lot of ways, it sort of like checks a lot of boxes of like probably not going to like, you know, somehow like just incinerate all of your money immediately. Whereas, you know, look, you look at other ones and I think like to take a topical example, like, you know, from going into, you know, you know, um, you know, yesterday was like literally like, no one had any idea what it was. Like that's everyone's post was, I have no idea what this is. I heard maybe it's related to this project, but they certainly haven't acknowledged that. Uh, there's not even really like, is there even a GUI for this thing? Not really, right? There's like, there, like, like it's sort of like not even clear what it is you're interfacing with, right? And it's just like, check so many boxes of like, this might not work, right? Like, like, like no one is claiming credit for it. No one seems to understand what the product is. There's no well-built GUI. There's no documentation. And like, yeah, also there's no audit, but like, 
you know, like it was clearly 12 steps before that, right? And so I think there is sort of like, that. no, that's not to say definitely it's going to get fucked, although it did as it turns out. But, but, you know, it checked a lot of boxes of like, you know, no one sort of seems to have done the things you usually associate with like blessing this as like, I'm pretty sure this is good. No, that, that's a really good point. I mean, people literally bought it with literally no information <laughs> going through the mental yeah. gymnastics to to really get it. But I mean, they saw like a leader they trust involved with it. They saw some, you know, it was linked to a certain, you know, project. Exactly. And, they, and yeah. I think that like, there's a thing, if, if what you'd heard about it, which was like sort of true, but stretching it was like, this is Andre's new project. And that was the full description. Then all of a sudden it sounds like a lot better, right? But But there should have been some alarm bells because like, did Andre have a post explaining how it works? Like, no, he didn't. Is there a GUI for it? No, they're like, they're sort of like missing some, some signs that, that he's usually had. But like, if you ignore that thing, right. And that's all you heard was associated with Andre. Obviously that, that, that's, you know, a heuristic in favor. I think that's what got people was that there was a heuristic in favor of this. Just like, if you dig a little bit more. Um, and I think like another example of this is you look at like safe and or cover, you know, whichever you want to call it then, which is another thing, which is like maybe associated with Andre. It's not exactly clear product that had some issues and i think that was another thing of like it had that heuristic going for it and that was the most available and like obvious one to people but it's not the only one that matters and like there's a lot of other heuristics that were like not going for its you know for what it was then although there's sort of like been a lot of cleaning up of that and and sort of getting it, it shit together since since that but but yeah i think like people sometimes just fixate on one heuristic here with like is it related to andre being that heuristic often instead of like you know, remembering that there's like still other things that they should be checking. Like, has Andre actually endorsed this project, for instance? So, Sam, just looking ahead in the space, though, where do you think we're going on launches with figureheads? Because, I mean, like, obviously, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Vitalik and Ethereum. I, I love Andre. And I think you're crushing FTX and Alameda. But you guys are all people. You have brands, reputations, stuff like that. And we come from a space that was built from an anonymous founder, Satoshi. Do you think that we're going to go the route of basically having figureheads for most projects because it's just a decentralization issue, but it's also a launch issue if nobody knows who the actual person launching a project is. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I don't think that anyone knows for sure. I mean, it's just not like, hasn't been determined. But if I sort of had to give a guess at what's going on there, the first thing that I would say is like, you know, what's like taking a step back from like thinking about what your expectations would be and how you've been thinking about it. Just think about like what should happen, like what's sort of the economically efficient thing to happen. And I think that's like a decent place to start. And when you come from there, there's a reason figureheads exist, right? And part of the reason is that there's like implicit trust and there's implicit, like, how the fuck do I know what this thing is? Well, you know, there's sort of like distributed trust and like, you know, if someone you trust endorses it, that means something. And that's always going to be powerful. And so there's like really strong motivation for something like that. Now, that doesn't mean that you always need it. But I think that like, if you try and get rid of it entirely, there's a lot of really powerful parts of that. But you're also definitely like playing with your hands tied behind your back, you know? And I think yeah. that like, People make a big deal of this, like anonymous founders are a great thing, and I think there are real advantages to it. But like, if you look at the current projects that have anonymous founders, they're extremely simple, right? And the reason is that like, 
it's just like that's what you can do if you have no trust assumptions and no team is like you you can't have a complicated product and at least not at the outset and so i think that like realistically speaking especially for like new complex things you know what's probably more realistic is something like this like slow dying away of the importance of the figurehead to the project and i think vitalik is like a really good model for that where like obviously he's really important to the ethereum community but a few years ago it was like you know there's like was no ethereum without him like this would not have happened and like that's sort of slowly been decaying away and and you know now we're at the point where he's like you know maybe the single most in, in, in probably still the single most influential person in for ethereum but like if he sort of just like stopped ever saying anything or working on it you know just quietly kind of stepped away tomorrow ethereum would be okay you know like it's like it, he's sort of no longer you know he's gone from like the heart of the project to just like the single most important person for it but not like that much massively more important than like you know person's number two through four combined or something like that i'm like sort of a, you know obviously ignoring some details here but 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 i think that like that that's sort of a model which has a lot of advantages to it um because over time you come to un- you know the community comes to trust and understand a system more such that the you know the the founder is just like not as important to that piece of it anymore and and as the community increasingly takes over building on it original team to the extent there even was one becomes you know potentially less important and so i think that for a lot of reasons like you know that's probably the most realistic model to follow here no i i think you're totally right like vitalik's paved the way for other people to like fill in add to the project and that's kind of just a natural evolution of a project growing it, it would be weird if a founder forced their you know seniority over a decentralized project as it right. grows it'd be a red flag but so sam just closing out on alameda before we move on do you guys have any, I guess, more thematic arbitrage type ideas, like in the sense of you guys are playing other layer ones for long-term investments instead of Ethereum or anything like on a more long-term scale there, or, or is it more short-term? And if it is long-term, I'd love to hear any plays you guys are working on. Yeah. So this starts to bleed into other things a little bit. And, um, and, and, and in particular, the way that it does that is as an investment vehicle. So I would sort of not really think of this as like Alameda, the trading firm or arbitrage firm or anything like that. This is just like, we do do some investing in the space, a decent amount. And a fair bit of that is thesis driven. And and that's very related to the other things that, you know, I think that like server experience in DeFi has, has shaped a lot of how we think about it. And, and we do do a bunch of sort of, yeah, thesis driven moves there. And I think you pointed to one of them, which is L1s. I think, you know, I've certainly come to have fairly strong opinions about them. I think that there are like a bunch of other examples of this too, including just like, wow, that team is really fucking competent. You know, like they get their shit done. They do well. Yeah. Versus like, oh boy, that is a total mess. Like, you know, I certainly like feel a lot less excited to use their products having (laughs) seen them than like, you know, from the outside. And so I think that like, that the way I would think about that is is not as trading. It it that's that's like thesis driven investing longer term. Got it. Oh, that's awesome. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you again about Delta Exchange. It's the go-to exchange for trading altcoins with leverage, and here's why. It has the highest number of altcoin futures available for trading. 
with several exclusive altcoin trading contracts like Engine, Basic Attention Token, and Ravencoin. It also has the highest leverage in the industry, up to 100 times, and also has the lowest trading fees. You can get 50% of your trading fees paid back to you. The platform is built by a team of Wall Street veterans, and Delta's trading platform is suitable for both novice and professional traders. View the link in the show notes below to get a $10 welcome bonus and visit the site to check out the exchange. I mean, it's a good segue into Serum. So you guys built a decentralized derivatives exchange called Serum. You built it on Solana. Uh, for those who want to catch up on Solana, we had Anatoly, the founder, on. It's a, it's a, it's a different layer one, extremely fast. Uh, I think 50,000 TBS, I think, right now. So what was kind of the thinking with Serum? Was it like, hey, we literally can't build this on Ethereum? Or is it just Solana was right place, right time? Like, What, what was the thinking there on mixing those two? It was, in fact, stronger than your first statement. So I think there's almost nothing interesting that you can like practically think Ethereum is the right platform for right now. And I want to be clear when I say that, that I'm not necessarily excluding the possibility of L2s. I think that like... The, the sort of you know shtick of like it's going to be you know an optimism l2 on ethereum is totally defensible and it's not what i think is the best decision but it's i'm not sure about that i think it's it's totally plausible but building directly on ethereum i think every project there is sort of like eager to not have to not be there anymore because it's just like the the throughput is like off by orders of magnitude and that's why you see even fairly simple protocols that don't require a ton of throughput are being priced out of Ethereum and are looking to move to other places. And again, when I say other places, like that doesn't necessarily mean deserting the Ethereum ecosystem because it could mean um, you know, moving some of their operations to an L2. But the, the thesis behind Serum was a stronger version of it, which is instead of asking what we can build or what we see people building or anything like that, take a step back and just ask like, what do we want? Like, what is the thing we'd be most proud of? What's the highest upside here? What's like the grandest vision for it? And then back out what needs to happen to get there. And when you go from that perspective, like rather than saying like, you know, gas has to get 10 times cheaper, you end up saying something like much more drastic. Like you end up saying something like, okay, the grandest vision is like, you know, some substantial fraction of the entire world's activity is happening on chain you know like it's not just like this protocol needs to be cheaper it's like well instant messaging that's like a random yeah sure you know that that could be on chain how about like you know whole financial ecosystem not all of it but a lot of it could be and how about p2p stuff streaming stuff like you just start like expanding this this set of things and all of a sudden you're like, okay, like it's not a factor of 10 that we need. It's as much as we can get. Like this is just a limiting factor in how big this can get. And they're just simple thought experiments you can walk yourself through to see that like scaling just really matters beyond just scaling a bit more. And like one of them is like order books. Order books are like the most central thing in finance. They're fucking everywhere. And, you know, let's say that you want to have an on-chain order book and matching engine. What does that require? And, you know, we've dug into it a lot and like we built one, you know, we built one on, on Serum, sort of the first, the first core project that came out there. And you want to be able to try to process like 
you know, 100,000 transactions per second is sort of like what you're shooting for, for that. And that prices out like all but one chain in the world just immediately. And that's without growth. Like this, you want to be able to grow over time. And so all of a sudden, like, you know, it's like orders upon orders of magnitude that you need to make up. And, 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 and then, of course, there's everything other than order books that you want. That's not like the only thing. And so, you know, where this really came from was like, okay, if we really want to be ambitious, if we really want to see what's the most, you know, the biggest thing that, that we can, like, what, what's the biggest vision here? Like, you start asking, like, not just like, is a chain fast? It's like, what's the fastest? or the most scaling chain. And that is like Solana's core value proposition. If you had to say like, what's its one, if you distilled it into one single value proposition, it's scaling. Like that is what it does. The entire chain is built from the ground up with an eye towards how can we make this scale as much as as, as possible. And so that's sort of what, you know, the really most core reason that that like we ended up there as opposed to just another non-Ethereum chain. That's that's awesome, Color. And this might be a vague question. I'm still trying to think through the best way to ask this. But do you think that I guess the Ethereum community is like selling itself short in some sense, and that they, on one hand, they're creating applications we never thought we'd have in a million years, and there's new incentives, new game theory, new behavioral economics, tokenomics, all of that within these applications. But what you're saying is it's kind of selling itself short because it'll never be able to reach kind of the global scale. It's only relative to the yeah absolutely and again i want to caveat this with like there's a vision where you can have extremely scaling l2s and and there's again this separate debate of whether you would want to treat those as l1s or as l2s on ethereum i'm going to sort of put that off because i I think i i feel less strongly and, and and more conflict about but but other than that i think that's absolutely right and that you know if you really want to get to think a lot bigger you know, it's not just like, you know, we're not just pushing the limits of gas. It's like hilariously too low by orders of magnitude. And anything complicated that you want to build, you just aren't even close to. And like we threw out 90% of the project ideas. When we're going to build something in DeFi, like literally 90% of things just got immediately thrown out because we're going to build on Ethereum. And it just like orders of magnitude away from being possible. So Sam, what do you think is the slap in the face to reality here? Like, do you think that it's like it, it's kind of weird, right? Because we have these apps on Ethereum, we don't have them on other chains, so we don't really have a comparison that can say, "Hey, like I spent a cent on gas and I did nine thousand yield farming things." Like people don't really have that comparison yet. Do you think we'll get to a point where other L1 build those experiences before Ethereum scales, or do you think Ethereum will scale before that happens? Because I feel like Ethereum's community is just so solid, but I obviously. I'm of the opinion that we should never have blinders on in kind of any project. It's a really good question. And I have an opinion on this. I could be wrong. I do think we're going to get there. I think that in the next month or two, Serum is going to get there. I think that like there's sort of this thing where like what you need to start building everything in Ethereum DeFi. And the answer is obviously nothing. You can build it from the ground up. But like realistically speaking, that's like the two-year plan. You know, if your goal, like, you can see how long it took to build these things the first time. But if instead you want it to be more like, what, how, how hard is it to build these on Ethereum right now, given that they already exist there and you're sort of like basically forking them? How do we get it to be more on that scale on Serum? 
you, you basically already need a lot of the building blocks in place and people are building those out. And about half of those have come online and the other half are going to come online over the next month or two. And that's going to allow it, that's going to make it pretty easy to, to kind of deploy all of these sorts of things on, on, on Saramon Solana. And I think that, that you're going to see a pretty quick explosion of, of attempts to, 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 to replicate all this, you know, of attempted yield farms, of, you know, bar lending, everything like that. And then there's just this question of like, that doesn't answer the question of whether anyone cares. Like, obviously you could imagine, yes, you successfully deploy this amazing ecosystem, but everyone's like, nah, that's not what we care about. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's cool. But like, honestly, it's sort of a rounding error compared to staying with the current Ethereum community. But but in terms of like that being a possibility technologically and people having the ability to do that and try that out, I think we're like a month or two away. That's pretty cool. And I guess my last question for you on, on this kind of topic is your response is really interesting. I like is let's say that you're able to do crazy things on Solana and Serum that you can't do on Ethereum, right? Like super yep. fast, super cheap transactions, whatever, whatever you want to do. Is it hard though to create, you know, have that creative explosion to get to those killer apps that are unforeseen if you don't have that quirky, geeky kind of Ethereum community with you? Like, I feel like it's, you know, you have all these awesome tools, but do you have the people to come and play with them? That's a really good question. And eventually the answer is no. Eventually you just need a community. I mean, that's the whole fucking point of this. Um, But you can, then there's a separate question of like, how far can you get before that becomes, you know, how far can you push? without blocking on that? And the answer is somewhat far if you have the resources. You know, Dan, you know, you're basically talking about things like burn here, right? Like, like, you know, do you have the burn to be able to keep building this out without needing to to get customers first until you get to the point where it's built out enough that you can that like the users that that like the things the users are trying to use are there, you know? And that I think the answer is yes. Like that is is doable here. And so I think that like, you know, eventually if you build something and no one comes and just no one's ever coming, like, okay, so so be it. But I think the powerful thing here is that like there is enough oomph behind the core supporters of the uh, of the ecosystem to get it to where it needs to be independent of anything else, so that it, it has a fighting chance. That's fair. I mean, just playing devil's advocate, I love Ethereum, like everyone knows that. But Playing devil's advocate for Solana and Serum, I mean, even if devs copied everything on Ethereum and put them on Solana, like there'll be use cases you guys have that you just literally can't do even with the same primitives because it's just too expensive to do on Ethereum. Exactly. And I think like already there is one. Like the literally the first thing was the order book. And that's like already just a thing that like cannot exist in the same way on Ethereum. It's like, you know, it's it's an on-chain order book with a central matching mm-hmm. engine fully non-custodial, fully decentralized, fully permissionless, fully on-chain, which can process thousands of orders a second at you know tiny fractions of a penny uh, of gas per order. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, walk, so walk me through the goal for Serum. You move so fast, Ben. I, I don't know if I should say a week or if I should say a month. <laughs> or, or yeah. Order. yeah. I, I think like a month is about the right scale. And so what's the goal? You know, again, the the sort of like high level vision of this is get all the the building blocks in place so that people can build what they want to build. And where are we on that? Some of those are there. So there's a, a bridge. There's an easy way to get assets onto it now. 
Um, there are order books with liquidity on them. And uh, there's now a GUI to, to add your own markets to a Serum DAX. So you can now just, you know, in, in, in two minutes yourself for, you know, $10 or, or of, of, of total cost, basically, um, deploy a new market, uh, a new order book on Serum, and then anyone can use it. And it's sort of like the equivalent of initializing a new pool on Uniswap. So that's sort of the second core building block, and that's that's now there, which is exciting. And then, you know, what are the other core things that 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 sort of people need here? I'm obviously ignoring a lot of details that are super important, but I think there's sort of two other really core things that are on the short-term roadmap. And the first is this thing called pools. Um, pools are going to be coming out this week, and I'm really excited for them. I think that they're one of the most powerful things that that I've seen in, in DeFi. I don't think that they're, they're that theoretically complicated. They're just a really great primitive, I think. And what they are is they're, they're sort of the primitive that everything from staking to yield farming to AMMs to borrow lending are built on. And it's this generalized notion of like, you got some assets and you got a wrapper on them that represents ownership of the assets. You know, basically like a, you know, a, a you know, liquidity pool on, on, on an AMM is, is like one example of this. But it's sort of like distilling that to its sort of fundamental components and making it fully customizable so that if you want to, for instance, deploy an AMM, all you have to do is like code in, you know, just write down whatever AMM curve you want. And then, you know, there's a lot of other things you can tweak if you want and then click like deploy pool and you're done. And, uh, you know, if you want to have, uh, uh, you know, creatable and redeemable, you know, fund of, of tokens that people can can you know buy into that's like a you know one minute deploy process and and i think this is just super powerful because it allows you to it, it's just like a really great structure for easily deploying an extremely wide range of products in defi and i think it'll make it you know both it'll be kind of like a nice clean way to deploy a lot of existing types of things but also a really easy and powerful way to innovate on them and so you think about like oh shit like we have to completely change the bonding curve. So it's not even just a curve anymore for an AMM. It's like this other thing, which is like not a continuous function. Like, how do you even do that? And the answer with pools is whatever, it's fine. Like literally just write it down, you know, exactly what you want it, you know, how you want people to be able to trade against it or not. You know, like you can literally just write down the function from like what you put into what you get out as function, what's in the pool. And it's like, this is the address where you put that program. And then you click deploy and you're done. And and so like it's it, it just makes it so easy to 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 innovate on these things and and compose them and, and things like that. And so I think and stacking them together, like you just put pools and pools and pools. And like that's basically what yield farming is, except that it's all wacky and and like uh, like each each person implements it slightly differently, and you can never remember exactly like oh god, are they airdropping it in this or on this? And like what is this thing? And like you know, what's, what's even mean to take it? Like, no, it's, it's all the same shit. It's just like people didn't agree on the language to use. So, so, so that's like one of the core things and that's going to be coming out this week. So I'm super excited about it. And then the last thing is a borrow lending protocol. And that instantly enables margin trading and, and, and futures and a bunch of other things. And so I think once those, and, and that's going to be coming out, you know, sometime over the next month. And once those are alive, those are sort of the, the next two large things on the roadmap 
I think that's going to be sort of like everything is there that people need to start building. That's pretty cool. So I guess, to be honest, I originally thought of Serum as like, uh, I knew it was a centralized, but you think about it as like a centralized entity to, right. to, to trade on. But what you're saying is that Serum is not just a DEX. You want Serum to be like this circle in the middle of the piece of paper and everyone builds DeFi around it and within it. Exactly. And the way that I think of the, you know, of, of the big, you know, first of all, you can have as many Bitcoin USDT order books as you want in Serum. There isn't like the one anyone can create theirs. But probably everyone's going to agree on the same one. So it'd be kind of silly otherwise. But but the way that I think about it, rather than being this is like, you know, this is the serum liquidity that's being provided. You know, this if you want to trade on serum, you go, go, you know, at you know, r- rather than that, the way I think about it is what is an order book? An order book is sort of the fully generalizable structure for like two, you know, for for any number of parties to transact with each other. And to express exactly the ways in which they would and wouldn't trade with each other. And so, like, you know, this is, you know, as a function of the price, this is exactly how much I would want to buying or selling. And then the matching engine just like matches all those and does all the trades that can happen. And and so rather than thinking of it as like, here's an order book with a market maker and this is how you trade on Serum, think about it as like, here's the matching engine. And anything on Serum that wants to trade. Bitcoin's for Tether. I mean, you can do what you want, but like I'd recommend looking at this order book. And sure, if you're a market maker, you can fry it there. But also, let's say you're an AMM, right? And you want to allow customers to, to do the you know AMM curve trading institute. You have your own special plugin where they go to this pool and they have to type in the right pool and they're like, all right, I'm gonna go like the you know Rutabaga swap pool and trade there. You could do that, but then you're kind of limiting your customer base. Another thing you could do, though, is just go to the central venue to express this. So you just have your pool go to the order book and be like, hey, like, here, here's what I want to do. You know, and, and you put out your orders you know, representing your curve. And then all the other AMMs in the world can put them all, all out in the same order book. They're all crossing with each other. And then someone comes in and wants to trade. They just go to the order book, and everything can access liquidity there. Everything can provide liquidity there. And, and it's just like a, a sort of a matching engine for any single piece of serum uh, to go to so that, you know, to, to be able to take advantage of all the flow and all the liquidity in the ecosystem. And of course, they don't have to. They can create their own or do something else. But I would guess that you'll see a lot of projects deciding that it's pretty powerful to be able to instantly tap into the entire flow and, and user base and liquidity base of the entire ecosystem all on chain without having to, like, do three years of marketing campaigns to teach everyone where to, you know, where your website is. <laughs> no, I love that. So Sam, just to like an example here, just so I make sure I understand it. Like there's a lot of pieces you're talking about that are literally separate projects on Ethereum. So like if you have Serum and you have liquidity, you have pools, you have borrowing, lending, all the stuff, basically what you're saying is that they're all interconnected and they share liquidity to maximize their individual ability to, to work on their own? Is, is that kind of how you think about it? Yeah, I mean, they don't have to, but that's what I'm guessing they're going to do because it's trivial. And that's one of the really powerful things about building things on chain is you get this composability. And I think this is also one of the core reasons that I'm not super excited. I'm like relatively way less excited about things that fracture composability because I think it's one of the most important things about DeFi. And I think that like, you know, there's a lot of ways to envision an L2 but I think that like 
in a lot of them, you lose a lot of your composability unless everyone's on the same L2. But if everyone is on the same L2 and that's where everything is happening, then like it that's just the like that's just the blockchain now, you know? And so I think this vision of like everyone has their own little siloed L2, unless you structure it in such a way that different L2s can compose with each other, I think you lose a lot of power. Now you might be no, able to do I'm that. But yeah, if you, you know, lose composability, you're you're screwed because that's literally why we have the speed of applications we have today, is just everyone mixing and yeah. matching. So Sam, what's the comparison to Ethereum for what you're building on Serum? Like, like the list is crazy, right? So, like, is this is your goal basically to have Coinbase, Uniswap, Compound, Ave, and like wallets on here and pools like all together in one? Like, I'm just trying to just visualize yeah. this a little better for the listeners. I mean, or not if they don't want to, but but yeah, I think like getting everyone to compose together to the extent that it's helpful is super powerful. Getting and and I think that like making it super easy to build all of these products or new ones, which are variants on it. You know, you want to do a borrow lending protocol, but instead of having a fixed interest curve, you want to do whatever wacky scheme you have to determine interest rates. Yeah, just do it. You know, there's just like literally just a parameter when you initialize it. And and you're like, you know, what is the fully generalizable, you know, program that you want to write in order to... Uh, express you know how interest is handled that's that's pretty crazy so i guess the devil's advocate question for you is like how are you able to launch this on a short-term roadmap when the project we discussed have been building like three years on ethereum right like it just seems like to be honest it seems not obtainable but on the flip side of that after seeing what you've done with serum so far it does seem somewhat in target (laughs) yeah um it's a really good question and um you know, basically, like, yeah, no, I think it's just true. And I think, like, this is a big uncertainty of mine a few years ago. Sort of like, geez, why aren't things, like, getting built better and faster? I don't get it. I must be missing a lot. And, no, I mean, I think it, they just, yeah, it's sort of weird they're not. And you just can't. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what the, I'm trying to figure out either one thing, either how you move so fast or, two, why the other products move so slow. <laughs> yeah, so I can I can tell you what it is for centralized exchanges. This is a different type of thing in DeFi, pretty different. In centralized exchanges, the answer is like, I mean, it's just so much dysfunction built on top of dysfunction composing with dysfunction. Like it's it's like you know, just uh, basically like someone says we're gonna do X, someone else is like why, person's like now nah, we're doing it, and it's like it's like all right, fine, all right, Bob, you do it. Bob's like I don't know what you're talking about. It's like whatever, just do it. Bob goes to some engineers like. Hey, Lisa, can you like make this thing? She's like, what is it? Like, I don't know. Bob told me to do it. She's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's like, whatever, just Google it. So then Lisa Googles like, what is a stable coin? And then she's like, all right. And then Bob comes back the next day. And it's like, it needs to be done by Tuesday. And she's like, what is it? Like, I told you it's a stable coin. And Lisa's like, all right. And then Lisa goes to like Devin and she's like, hey, can you help me build the stable coin? And it's like, you can, you can already sort of see how like this ends up nowhere near where you thought it would. And, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, and then I think in DeFi, it's sort of like the decentralized version of that, where it's so hard to keep innovating and so easy to keep forking that, like, you know, what's Efren going to do? Yeah, no, that's 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 a really good point. And Sam, we're running out of time. I definitely want to have you back on again, but I, I have one yeah. last question for you. Uh, definitely have you on again. We, we have too much to cover, but I guess the last question for you is, and this is a tough one because you have 
a lot of different entities. Like you have Alameda, you have FTX, you have Serum, you have personal stuff, whatever. But I guess the question for you is like, where do you draw the line between making money and building, right? I mean, it really right. is a gray area. How do you kind of figure that out? And how do you reassess that when you're underway with something? It's a really good question. And, you know, I sort of think about it in terms of feedback processes. And I think the core dynamic here, the most powerful dynamic, is that exponential growth is bigger than linear growth. And so, like, what's kind of the core thing that makes the most sense long-term that really maximizes upside EV? It's building the best product you can. And, like, you do that, and the product keeps getting better and better and better. And then, like, eventually, it'll make a lot of money. And, like, versus you can try and squeeze, like, pennies out of it on, like, the first two stages and, like, divert all your resources at and, like, get a tiny little payday. And then, like, the product's never going to get any, anywhere big and you lost the big payday. And so I think that, like, really the answer is, like, think big. And, like, that generally means focusing on the project. And that, like, you know, you that that's what's going to ultimately drive value and growth. And you sort of, like, ignore things that don't help it grow. With the exception, obviously, that you can't, like, go broke in the middle, right? Like, you know, you, you have to, like, make sure that you manage that process in a sustainable way where it's able to, to keep going. And so, you know, it's, it's not like one thing at the expense of everything else, but that that one thing is the goal. The goal is sort of everything else at the service of that one thing, where that one thing is building the product out long-term to be the most powerful thing it can be. That's pretty cool, Sam. And, and my last question for you, what do you think is your largest kind of competitive pressure? I know it's like a broad whatever question, but it's kind of interesting because you got, you're not only up against centralized exchanges, you're up against decentralized exchanges, you're up against other layer ones, you're up against other communities. So how do you kind of think through the competitive pressures for you? There's a lot, but I think that like in the end, I'm always going to be my own worst enemy. And like in the end, you tell a story where Serum doesn't get big. I don't know, probably just didn't do that good of a job of it, you know? Like yeah. that, that's, that's, that's the biggest one, you know, everything else is, is smaller than that. And, and Sam, last one for you, man, that picture of you sleeping in the office on the beanbag chair, <laughs> is that thing real? <laughs> it, uh, it is. I, uh, I've got a bunch around my desk and I sleep there many nights. That's awesome. I wish I had your ability to, to pass out, but I mean, you're working probably way more. So it, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, Sam, thanks so much for coming on, man. I definitely want to have you on again soon and I'll, uh, yeah. I'll point people to Serum and FTX in the show notes. Awesome. And yeah, I'd love to come on uh, again as well. Awesome. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon.